Just Life, a programme from Radio Maria England. Good morning. It's time for Just Life. And uh, this morning we are joined by Joanna Bogle. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning. Joanna's on the telephone as opposed to our usual way of connecting with people. So we all know that in the past few weeks, we've had the most extraordinary time here in Britain, um, the death and burial of our great Queen Elizabeth II and now... um, Prince Charles has become king and Joanna is here this morning to talk about it. So thank you so much, Joanna, and back over to you. Yes, these have been extraordinary days. And then, quite coincidentally, there's also been an enormous amount going on politically with a new prime minister and lots of tension and resignations and the Lord knows what. So it's been an extraordinary time. And the funeral of the Queen Well, every cliche was fulfilled. It was the end of an era. It was a dramatic time. And it all happened in the most glorious golden autumn weather. We've had a particularly beautiful autumn here. And one of the things that we needed was a cool time after the terrible heat of the summer. Somehow, it's all focused attention on the life of this great queen and also on what we are as a country. I'd say the funeral was a very powerful expression of Christian faith. Dr. Welby preached very well about Christian hope and Christian faith. We commit uh, somebody to God. And it was very beautiful to hear the solid Christian understanding that, you know, we do have hope. We know that we commit someone to God. It, It was beautiful. And we don't often hear this expressed in such a very public way on such a magnificently public occasion. So the preaching was good. It was nice to see our Cardinal Vincent Nichols doing one of the prayers. And so there was a, a sense of unity and so on. There were magnificent hymns. There was glorious music. There was magnificent ceremonial and what one can only call it as pageantry. But it was all completely Christian. The funeral, of course, took place in the superb surroundings of Westminster Abbey, where Her Majesty, as Princess Elizabeth, had married Prince Philip. Uh, it's where all the great events of our nation take place. It's where our unknown warrior lies buried uh, with honor. And here was the funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, who died in the 70th year of her reign just after the summer in which we'd celebrated her Platinum Jubilee. And the whole nation, to say nothing of the wider world, absolutely took part, watching on television and so on. And there was a tangible feeling in London in the days leading up of something solemn and important happening. I was there in London. Um, I'm a journalist. Every Catholic website and newspaper in America seemed to make, want to me to write, to broadcast. At one point, I was getting confused doing a Zoom and then my phone ringing. Oh, boy. But um, the crowds were, well, there was a wonderful sense of camaraderie, neighborliness, a rare thing in modern life, uh, a good feeling, lots of friendship. And as we saw, lots and lots of flowers laid down. And rather beautifully, these were all collected up. It must have been an enormous work and taken to Windsor, uh, through which uh, this, this great parade of flowers, through, through which the coffin was taken on its very last journey to St. George's Chapel. So there was something marvellous about everyone working together, and I need hardly say uh, that the Army, Royal Navy, and Air Force were absolutely superb 
in their drill, something so moving in the sight of all those naval ratings, hauling the gun carriage, carrying the body of Her Late Majesty, something superb about the steady tread, tread, tread of the guards. You really can't beat the guards for, for drill, although I have to say the Royal Air Force and the Royal Navy did a pretty good job in beating them, really, because it was all superbly done. Beautiful pageantry, glorious uniforms, and above all, a sense of this is what we know as Britain. This is how we bury our monarch. There are odd sort of personal memories that all carry. I, I have one, actually. Uh, last night, I went to the beautiful uh, mass at St. George's Cathedral, Southwark, uh, where we were quite separately, new chapter opening, uh, hosting the relics of St. Bernadette, uh, St. Bernadette Subaru of Lourdes, magnificent mass, the archbishop celebrating, lots of priests come celebrating. I was one of the readers, and for the first time in my life, I read a bidding prayer uh, for our king and government. Of course, I'd read it through a couple of times beforehand. Isn't it ghastly when people won't do that when they're readers and they fluff their lines or whatever? And they're not their lines. They're lines provided by the church. I really hate it, along with, if I may say so, hand gestures telling you when to respond or announcements. Please rise for the gospel. No, no, no. You're serving the liturgy. It's bigger than you are. Anyway, here I was leading the bidding prayers for our king and our government. And it, it just felt so strange for a moment hearing those words in church. We're going to get used to them. We have a king now. I remember my parents talking about things from their early youth about the king. You know, the king, we did this, the kings did this, the king did that. And then during the Second World War in particular, the king broadcasted, our kings have done this, whatever. And now we've got a king again. It's so funny because all of us grew up with the idea of Prince Charles, and now here he is, King Charles, King Charles. So these have been strange and momentous days. Worth pondering, because one thing it taught us is that people understand, share in, respond to, and feel spiritually connected to beautiful, formal liturgy done properly, with clear language they can hear, prayers they share, in a sense of familiarity, sensing that they are in union with God, and because of that, and only because of that, truly in union with one another. And with that thought, uh, let's hear some music that echoes these thoughts as we think about royal funerals and coming up, of course, in due course, a royal coronation. Thank you so much, Joanna. I also remember my parents talking about the king, so that really struck a note with me. Let's listen to Jerusalem, sung by Salisbury Cathedral Choir.
Jerusalem. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? This refers to the legend that Christ himself once visited our land. It's a bit of daft, really, because it wasn't England then, it was Britain. It was before the Anglo-Saxons had invaded. It was in the days when Britain, along with the Holy Land, of course, uh, was part of the Roman Empire. Who knows? It's a legend. But one of the things that the coronation will do is link us with our past in the same way that that glorious funeral for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II did. The words of scripture, you can't improve on them, this is the word of God, read formally in an ancient abbey, hallowed by centuries of use. The prayers that unite us together as we united together, pray to God for the repose of someone's soul, for their presence of God. There's an awe-inspiring thing here. Interestingly, the very strong Protestant idea at the time of the Reformation and so on was you cannot pray for the dead, it's all just up to God. Uh, But that has certainly changed over the centuries, and a profound understanding, which the Catholic Church has always got and will always have, that of course you can and must pray for the dead, has really seeped into Uh, national consciousness on occasions like this. People say, oh, may she rest in peace. And then this lovely prayer that we use so often as Catholics, eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord. It's all very natural. Uh, The meeting of a soul with God, a monarch or anyone else, is the most awe-inspiring thing to ponder. A soul meets God. Now, in the case of the Queen, she was a good Christian soul. She often spoke of her faith. She was a regular attender at church on Sunday. In fact, when she didn't go through ill health, it caused national headlines. Uh, And it's quite clear that she framed her life, and she said she did. She tried to frame her life according to the teachings of Christ and in the Christian tradition in which she'd been brought up. So even for that, though, it's a very awe-inspiring moment when that comes to an end and you are summoned to the great throne. And we do well to pray for one another. There's a mystery about this. God is omnipotent. He knows exactly what he is about. As with all prayer, we're not giving him instructions, but we're committing this to God. And in this case, it's the soul. Beautifully, beautifully done. We do need to pray for, I was almost going to say it, Prince Charles, for our king. And it's lovely that we're now doing so in churches across the country. These are difficult days, and we're living at a time when many people are not living as Christians, and when the whole idea of a a, a wonderful heritage rooted in Christianity is fast disappearing. A lot of children don't know why we number our years the way that we do. They probably don't really understand the meaning of the word Christmas. They don't understand why we have a holiday in the springtime called Easter. And over and above all that, you've got bureaucratic and stupid attempts precisely to abolish Christmas or to abolish Easter and to use words like winter holiday and, you know, springtime. The monarchy is going to be Christian or it's just not going to be at all. And we need to reinforce that with our own understanding. Uh, This is a good time to teach about our history. It's a good way to teach the passing of time anyway uh, with the different reigns, the different families that have reigned. Uh, We can look at it and learn Saxon, Norman, all the way through the Middle Ages, Tudor, Stuart, Hanover, Saxe-Coburg, Windsor. Learn about it. Understand what the coronation will be all about. 
understand concepts of family and dynasty. And into this is written our own family history. It's very important that we understand that we are all united together. We live as a community. We share a history. And it's fun for children to learn their own family history wherever that fits into the wider scope. And in a modern country like Britain, where people have settled from different lands and so on, there's a lot to learn and a lot to share. It's good for grandparents to be encouraged to tell their story and bad for children to be made to feel that they're alien in their country uh, or that they ought to spend their whole lives moaning about something instead of sharing in a common heritage and working together for the common good. That, of course, is very much the Catholic way. There's something very important about understanding that we're pulled together and that this pleases God. It's very good when we see members of the royal family taking part in some useful charitable project. And the Prince of Wales has done a lot of good work as Prince of Wales before coming, becoming king. Um, I personally know of some people involved with the Prince's Trust who through it, uh, through this trust, I mean, were given uh, a, a modest grant and then had a, a little publishing group that absolutely flourished giving employment and so on. So some of the ideas that the king had as Prince of Wales were very good, rooted in common sense and then we think of the great work done through, for example, the Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme, May It Flourish, and um, a patronage given by the members of the royal family to all sorts of, of useful projects. They do well to steer clear of anything controversial, but they can do things that are a bit challenging to the rest of us and say things that make us realize uh, what needs to be done on certain issues. When the Queen died, there was a solemnity. Solemn music was played, uh, comedy was taken off, uh, mainstream air. Everyone shared in a solemn moment. This is important. The idea that death is something we can avoid is stupid. And the idea that, oh, we just celebrate somebody's life doesn't work either. We committed the body of Queen Elizabeth II to the soil of the Royal Chapel at Windsor. And we committed her soul to God. Let's hear some more music as we think about that. Thank you so much, Joanna. And um, I would just like to also say, if you have a question, please don't hesitate to call in or a comment or you want to contribute a thought. Do um, give us a ring. The phone lines are open. The number is 01-223-375-564. And we're going to listen to Love Divine or Love's Excelling, which was sung at Queen Elizabeth's funeral.
So we're thinking about Queen Elizabeth II, her funeral, our new king. And most people, when they think about the royal family these days, tend to think about gossip. They tend to say, oh, yes, what did you think of this or what did you think of that? And uh, everybody shared in the tragedy of broken marriages. And everybody had had and has an opinion on why this happened and whether this person was right or that. And it must be very difficult to live your life on the TV screens of the nation so that every family difficulty and marriage breakup is a, a source of endless discussion. I think part of the problem for the royal family is that uh, whereas at one time there would have been discretion and so on, and that would have been in its own way created more of a structure in which any marriage difficulties could perhaps have been sorted out. But I think it was also that it's very difficult to bring children up uh, in a rather formal idea of where they're going in life and royal duties and so on at a time when the rest of the nation appears to be dominated by pot, pot and the pill. Uh, very tricky, really. I I was just uh, pondering this. Um, you, you had, you know, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones screaming the latest pop song and all of that. And Prince Charles had to dress formally and be bowed to. And there was a sort of muddle. You can get the two together and we're succeeding reasonably well in doing that in Britain, but possibly at a colossal cost, colossal cost uh, to the personal lives of the uh, royal people involved and one can sense that somehow we must very much pray for the new young prince and princess of wales and their little family and hope that they will be able to withstand some of the tensions and pressures that are in that in that uh, duty and responsibility they they've absorbed and have to uh, have to cope with and on the face of it seem to be doing rather well but it's just something to pray about it also makes it clear that the church's teaching on marriage and family must be adhered to and that this this is the framework in which we should live our lives. I think one of the things that we realize when we're looking at royalty is that we have a very good constitution in Britain. And most of us should really think about that rather than the personal lives of the people involved. Uh, the constitutional monarchy has served us <laughs> extremely well. And that, really that, is what we're celebrating rather than the soap opera, tempting and interesting, though the soap opera stuff is, and we're not going to get away from it. But a constitutional monarchy provides a focus of loyalty that is above and beyond any president or political figure and much more human, real and connected to history than a flag or some statement of belief. I think it works well and I think we can make it work extremely well in the years ahead, but it does, it does provide a cost, a terrible cost in a way, for the people at the heart of it. Should we pray for the royal family? Yes, definitely. We should pray for our king. And it was pleasing that our bishops of England and Wales provided a rather nice prayer card with prayers for Her Late Majesty and prayers for our new king. Uh, and I'm looking at it now, rather nice, with a picture of the queen on the front, prayers upon the death of Queen Elizabeth II. And here's the prayer for the king. O oh God, to whom every human power is subject, Grant your servant, His Majesty King Charles, wisdom in the exercise of his high office, so that, always revering you and striving to please you, he may constantly secure and preserve for the people entrusted to his care the freedom that comes from unity and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. 
there's also a, a, a nice prayer for the royal family, which I'll, I'll read later. As we think about all of this and think about praying for the king, we ought to remember that this should be included in the bidding prayers at Mass regularly. And we also ought to understand the role of the royal family, and particularly of the king, in unifying us, bringing us together. Um, we do need community. One of the things the Catholic Church teaches is that we are not on our own. We live in families and we live in a nation, which is, if you like, a family of families. It's very important we understand this because now we have a me, me, me way of looking at life. Monarchy reminds us, no, we're bound together as a community. I really, really appreciated the possibility of being with all those great crowds around Buckingham Palace and so on uh, in the days leading up to the Queen's funeral as we were watching events and in a sense sharing them very much together. And that long queue of people going to pass the lying in state, pausing for a a prayer and a moment uh, before the coffin. I mean, it was all very deep stuff and it was together. And I think that's very significant because what royalty is about is, is our history, our traditions and our community. Looking ahead too, which is why we delight in seeing royal children and didn't they behave most beautifully uh, at the royal funeral and uh, didn't they dress nicely Oh, the nice hat worn by little Princess Charlotte. Do you think it's going to come into fashion? I suspect it is. And a certain formality in dress? No bad thing. When we go to church, uh, we're not just slobbing in anywhere. We're entering the house of God. All of that's worth remembering. And a royal funeral helped to teach us it again. Community, respect for tradition, our history and heritage. All of these things are bound up uh, with royalty. Perhaps we needed uh, a royal pageant at the... Jubilee, and then the solemnity of a royal funeral. And let's look ahead to the coronation, find out the meaning of some of the magnificent things that happen. The orb, topped by the cross of Christ, is the symbol of the world under his loving care. Uh, think about the idea of the pledging of somebody and their anointing. Think about you being anointed at your confirmation and the link between the two. Read about King David in the Old Testament as an awful lot to ponder for the coronation. And while we're doing that, let's hear some more music. Thank you so much, um, Joanna. What It was interesting you mentioned there the orb, uh, because the final moments when we saw Queen Elizabeth's coffin was when these signs of queenship were taken away from her, and it was noticeable that she went to the grave, as it were, um, you know, without, mm. without these mm. honours, just as a, mm. a Christian, a Christian woman. Um, so let's listen to Lead Kindly Light. Um, and you've pointed out that Prince Charles, Lead Kindly Light is written by John Henry Newman and Prince Charles attended his canonization um, back in 2018. So after we've listened to it, do you tell us a bit more about that and how yeah. Prince Charles ended up there?
That was Lead Kindly Light. You are listening to Just Life on Radio Maria. We're joined this morning by Joanna Bogle, alive from London. She's talking to us about Queen Elizabeth, the royal family and all things British. Just a reminder that you can call in if you would like to contribute a thought or a question. The, the phone number is 01223. 375564012233375564 and Joanna you're going to tell us why Prince Charles was at the canonization of John Henry Newman Yes this is this is something that's very very good news in in my lifetime uh, the relationship between the Catholic Church and the Anglican Communion and so on has become warmer and more friendly. And the Catholic Church knows exactly what its teachings are, and the Anglican Church doesn't share some of those. But after 400 years, it's been nice that uh, uh, warmer friendships have developed. And one very good thing, uh, which was really begun by the great uh, John Paul uh, with his visit to Britain, his pastoral visit 40 years ago in 1982, was a very good relationship with the royal family. Although uh, Her Majesty the Queen uh, did visit uh, Rome and was greeted uh, by Pope John the Twenty Third, that uh, warm-hearted, jolly Pope that people love to call Good Pope John. And we've got pictures of that. Again, we looked at them again the other day because we were looking at her long life and her achievements. And one result of all this goodwill was that when one of the greatest churchmen of modern times, Cardinal John Henry Newman, was canonised. Um, our Prince of Wales, now the King, went to Rome for the ceremony, a sign of the goodwill. And you really have to acknowledge uh, the role of John Henry Newman in the development of the church in modern times. He's often called the father of Vatican II. He was a really fine thinker who was passionately interested in understanding the early church fathers, the unchanging doctrine of the church. And this is very, very important. And again, this, this can lead to a sense of, of un, union and communion with all Christians. Let us go back to, to the sources. Those people in the first hundred years, a couple of hundred years of the church's life, who were in close contact with the direct teaching of the apostles and so on. All of this is very important and the formality and beauty of their liturgy is something we do well to remember today. The clarity of their teaching something we do well to remember today. The way in which they understood you have to grapple with heresy and teach truth, something we need today. And so Prince Charles, as Prince of Wales, went to Rome. And you can find on the internet actually a very nice clip of him greeting and being greeted by Pope Francis. Uh, uh, the Pope saying something to the effect that it's very good of you to come and the Prince saying, well, I, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. So there's something really beautiful about that. And Prince Charles wrote a beautiful, beautiful feature about uh, John Henry Newman, which was published in the Times newspaper. And I remember that morning in Rome, uh, Jack Valero, who was part of the uh, team that produced all the material needed for the canonization of uh, John Henry Newman, the website and uh, all the work that needed to be done in making the lovely event happen, was almost dancing down the corso as he was going to buy a copy of the Times. And he said that Prince Charles had this big special feature in it. And, oh, it was exciting. And I rushed to a shop to get a copy too. So this is something that uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles, will, will bring an understanding of goodwill between Christians. And without exploring his personal faith, it's clear that he does go to church regularly. Uh, the pictures of him immediately after the funeral, when the fam royal family went into you know, mourning and uh, were just quietly together. But they did emerge to go to church. 
And at least this is happening, and you will see that he will take part in church ceremonies throughout his reign and will faithfully go to church on Sunday. I think this is a very important part of what, it, what the monarchy does, is to say, yes, we are a Christian monarchy or we are nothing. Even a Christian monarch isn't always going to get everything right or anything, of course. But it's very important to understand this is a, an anointed monarch dedicated to the service of God. And part of the coronation ceremony says, receive your crown, but remember our Savior wore a crown of thorns. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice, of struggle, of acceptance of sorrow, of duties undertaken with courage. It's not meant to be an easy life. And the, the monarch who thinks, oh, whoopee, this is all about me, is just getting it so wrong. Christ is our king, and he ruled from a cross. There is a, a very important understanding of Christian service bound up with monarchy. And the late queen exemplified this very well. Uh, there's a seriousness about this. There's a dedication to what is large and true and good, coupled with personal sacrifice, difficulties overcome, decisions made. A very good example of this was the father of the late queen, George VI, who led the country through the very difficult days of the Second World War. And he was a man of deep Christian faith and made it clear in his broadcast to the nation. But there was also an understanding, we are in a time of difficulty. We must pull together, and this may not be easy. And I think this is something the monarch can say when perhaps politicians can't. It sounds a bit plastic coming from somebody who is uh, not, not enshrined in the beauty to God, but is sort of just trying to cope and is always going to put the best face on their particular policies and so on. No, I think... There is something about monarchy which exemplifies the nation. We may have to sacrifice. This may be difficult. Let's help one another. Let's trust in God. Politicians should say these things. Uh, a politician should make it his duty to do that. Um, there's no reason why he shouldn't. But a monarch exemplifies it and can say it really from the heart and in a way that a politician could not because the politician must always get on with developing his policies and saying, right, this is what's going to happen with the economy, with education and so on. There's a lot we need to pray about in Britain. We are losing our collective sense of unity and neighborliness in the service of, of God, and we need to have a Christian revival. Here again, ecumenism can play its part. Sincere evangelical Christians praying for revival is something I've seen and shared with. And I think we need to pray, please, Lord, bring us back uh, uh, as a country to Christ. And that is a duty that we can all share in. So when we say, God save the king, uh, we should mean, let us make our country more Christian. I mentioned that our bishops have produced uh, a, a very nice prayer card uh, for prayers on the death of Her Late Majesty. And this beautiful prayer for the royal family, Almighty God, source of all consolation. We pray for the members of the royal family who mourn the loss of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Uphold them in your love and pour out on them the consolation of your healing spirit. Let them find in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, comfort in their sadness, certainty in their doubt, and courage to live through this hour. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. As we think about that prayer, let's have some more music. Thank you, Joanna. Um, I've actually got a choice. We've got um, music from the Queen's funeral. We have The Lord's My Shepherd, which was... Um the Queen's favourite song, or the the final hymn, uh, The Day Thou Gave um, Is Ended. Which would you prefer? Well, I, I love both of them, 
But I think we should have the day thou gavest Lord is ended as we finish our program and finish thinking about the Queen and pray quietly uh, for the repose of her soul and for strength for King Charles that he may be, may, may be a fine Christian king and that we may have a Christian revival in our country. Amen. Here it is.